welcome back to another episode of the Preschool Pioneers Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Walker. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about Acolytes, Accountability, and Google Suite, a great product that can help you as a teacher or as a facility. You can follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also YouTube. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform so you can never miss an episode. Visit cr101radio.com forward slash preschool pioneers for these links. So let's go ahead and get started. This episode is entitled A is for Acolytes. Now, the world needs Christians, very important, to become teachers because there is a militant and radical group of religious humanists that will stop at nothing until they've captured the hearts, minds, and souls of every child in America. Now, the choice is either to leave our nation's children at the mercy of those that would lie to them and lead them down to a path of personal and societal suicide, or we can get involved and do something about it, as we've already been commanded to do so. So I want to go ahead and get started on A is for Acolytes, this new podcast episode, because I want people to be sure of one thing. Make no mistake, true Christians not only want to teach what they believe to their children personally, parents, teachers, they also want to spread what they believe to other people. And in fact, it's also their primary duty to do so. Now, the idea of propagating one's faith, the idea of transmitting one's belief to another, is something that is inherent in the concept of education. And here on Preschool Pioneers, we want to help people get inspired, get equipped, and to get involved in this concept and idea of education. It's overly important. And acolytes, what is an acolyte? Well, by definition, an acolyte is a person who assists in the celebrant, is, is a celebrant, in a religious service or a procession. But that's not exactly enough for what an acolyte is. Other words that describe an acolyte are these. A follower, an aide, an assistant, a helper, a disciple, a devotee, a member, supporter, participant, worshiper, imitator, pupil, proselyte, representative, zealot, or protege. Now, an acolyte is a fancy term for all of these words. It just means somebody who is a follower, a participant, um, a proselytizer, a representative of an idea, of a concept. And all things are concepts. Every idea, if it's moral, if it's a factual type thing, like turtles are green, whatever it is, you're teaching what we consider to be what is true. And the teacher wants to impart this information to their students. Now, as I said in my opener, there is a very militant and very radical bunch of uh, religious humanists right now. If you want to see them, just turn on your news, turn on your television, 
and watch what's going on in the world. These people have their own ideas about the world, many different concepts there, and they want not only to believe it, but to transmit that to others, not just be heard, but to convince. And many of them, not just to convince other people to join them, but to force them to do so if necessary. Now, if you weren't aware, the concept of being a teacher is not just one that is institutional. It doesn't mean that you have to be working at a school to be a teacher. In fact, the primary teacher on the planet are the parents. That's right. You as the parent are the very first teachers a child will ever encounter. That's why parenting is so important. It's also very important why families are falling apart. Their fathers and mothers are not together. They aren't uh, proper families, don't have a proper structure, and therefore they can't be proper teachers either. I mentioned earlier the concept that they're going to be, these types of militant people are going to lie, lie to those that hear them, lie to their students, lie to every single person who has an ear and has to hear what they have to say. Now, what is the lie that we as Christians are going to try to, to be against, to teach is a falsehood? Well, real simple. The first lie that is absolutely being taught to every student in America today is that there is no God. That is the concept of evolution. Now, they don't have to put in textbooks, there is no God. But that's exactly what the concept of evolution is propagating. It is a religious, let me say it again, it is a religious tenet and doctrine of faith. This is not a concept of the sky is blue because we can look at it and see it's blue. This is a tenet of faith. Now, us as Christians, we have no problem, and if you're a Christian parent or a Christian teacher, you should have no problem saying that this is my faith. I believe this. Because people tend to like the idea that they can just be factual. This is science-based. But it's not. It is a faith. It's something they believe. Anything somebody teaches, you can go into the realm of sexuality. Nowadays, everybody has got this concept in their head that there is no actual concept as male and female. And somehow, you are what you think you are. Now this, they have tried to make scientific, take the idea, and then try to manipulate science, clearly falsify it, and try to make it into a fact when it's really just a faith. Now they don't want to say it's a faith because now all of a sudden we're teaching religion. The interesting thing, if you read the humanistic manifestos, they have manifesto one, two, and now they have three. The humanistic manifesto is very clear. These are people who know what they're doing and humanists know that humanism is a faith. It's something that you believe but cannot prove. It's something that you, your deep down core of your being, know to be true. And they want to propagate that. The public school system, the government school system, is absolutely 100% focused on creating acolytes. These people who are going to represent them. They want to teach children who are then going to go out into the world and represent the truths taught in the school system. They want them to be devoted to it, a devotee. They want to be a member of the humanistic society that they want to create, this new society. They want zealots. A zealot is somebody who cannot be convinced. They are gung-ho for their faith. 
And as Christians, we also want that as well. They want participants. They want people to go out there and get involved. We're getting close to election right now in uh, 2020. And everything around the world, social media is focused on getting you out there, getting you involved, getting you to participate in our national elections we have here in America going on. And they want you to get involved because they want you to show up to the polls and they want you to propagate your faith, your beliefs in the civil and the governmental realm. They want to push the idea of killing babies is a good and normal, natural thing. They want to push the idea of hating the rich, stealing from them, and higher taxes is a good thing. Nationalized health care is a wonderful thing. We should steal money from the rich people who worked very hard out of many gifts and have deserved every dime that they have earned. And we want to take their money and give it to somebody else because, after all, they don't deserve that much money. Now, those are religious concepts of morality. Now, they won't say that that's it, but that's exactly what they are. We can't get away from the idea of people wanting to teach other people to propagate their ideas, to have them finally sear in to their being, and then have this person go out as a representative to teach others, a devotee, a disciple, if you will. Because they don't want them just to be a pupil forever. They want them to be proselytes. These are evangelical. Proselytes are those who go out and proselytize. They're the ones who go out there and look for others to convince, to bring them in to the fold. And you can not only get supporters, but then become their members. They view children as their protégés, as we've been going through these different definitions of acolytes. Because a protege is somebody you're training to be and do what you are and can do. Kind of if you're going to train somebody to become a firefighter or if you're going to be a detective or anything that you can do and be, you would have a protege that was taught to do this. Now in the Bible, there is a Bible verse which I brought up, Luke 6.40. Quote, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Perfect meaning at the completion of their discipleship. Once the master is finished teaching them everything he has to teach, the disciple will be just like or an imitation of the person who taught them. This is at the heart of education, proselytizing, creating Zealots for the truth, those that are dedicated to it. Acolytes who are going to go out there and stand for something unwaveringly. There are these radical humanistic people who want to do this. But there's no difference between that and Christians as a parent. As a parent, you want your child. You are the first teacher. And if you're a parent, it's your job to teach your child to be what they need to be. And if a parent does it right, then the child will turn out. Once the, the training is done, the child will turn out in the semblance of what the parent has attempted to create. Now, as an example for this, 
we see all the time children who are, frankly speaking, wild. Just wild children. Never been taught to listen. They'll bring the children into the school. And if you're a teacher, you've probably had um, some experience with this. The children are mismatched everywhere. Different socks, different shoes, different pants, different shirt, different hat. It's, everything's all over the place. Just a complete mess. And, of course, they'll say something fancy. Like, oh, well, they dressed themselves today. Well, there's nothing wrong with children dressing themselves. But then, of course, they get to be 16 and 17 and 18 years old. And they can't dress appropriately and can't get a job. And they get fired because they can't follow dress code. They've never been taught that there's a certain requirement that you have to follow. That's not always creative on your part. Discipline meaning that they've never really, they just wanted a free-spirited child. And so they never really wanted to tell them what to do. They never wanted to be the overbearing parent who made their child listen. Because after all, they resent their parents. They resent their parents. And they don't understand that the reason why they resent their parents is because the problem is them, not their parent. And so they don't want their child to resent them. So they just don't discipline the child. They don't give them any instructions. They don't really put restrictions on them. Just let them live and be free. And, of course, what happens is the child has no ability to have self-control, no impulse control. They can't do anything. They can't control themselves. And, therefore, the child becomes frustrated because they can't become good at anything. Any skill, any talent, any ability takes self-control. Before you can get good at anything, you must have that. They came with fancy terminologies to cover up the idea of bad discipline and poor training on the part of parents and schools alike. And they call it ADHD, Attention Deficit Disorder. Attention Deficit Disorder. Now, we're not talking about people who have real brain traumas or abnormalities where they literally cannot function properly. We're just talking about people who can't focus. We're just talking about people who've never been trained to focus their minds and forced to make themselves stop doing something or do something to its completion. That's not what we're talking about here. Parents have failed. Schools have failed. And to cover up that failing, what have we done? We've gone to the scientific community and asked them to cover up our sins. That's right. That's what they've done. We call them psychologists. We call them specialists. We call them behavioral observationalists. Whatever you want to call them. But all it comes down to is you're trying to make up for the idea that people are bad parents and bad teachers, and they're not giving children what they need. Because at the root, the humanistic idea is that mankind needs to be free of all restrictions and constraints. God is doing nothing but restraining us. And we would be free, happy people if we could be free and just to be ourselves. Well, we find out that's not the case at all. If you look at these people who have been free from restraint, they look like the most miserable people on the planet. Just look at them. Look at the way they dress. Look at their hair. They shave half their head. The other side is blue. They have earrings in their faces and their noses. They're literally destroying their bodies. They tattoo themselves up all over the place. They cut their face and their tongues out. They do all kinds of crazy. This is supposed to be freedom of expression. They abuse them, themselves and their bodies with free sexual activity from the time that they're 12 on. And they find out why their life is destroyed and in shambles. 
because they've been taught. They've been acolytes. They have been followers. They have been trained to be devotees of the humanistic way. And they find that it's a lie. But what to do when you're caught up in the lie? How can you get out of it if you don't know the truth? Christian parents, Christian teachers, that's why we are needed. The world needs Christian parents. Your child needs you. The rest of the world needs you to help them. They do not all have good Christian parents who are going to teach them the way. They're going to leave them to themselves, or worse, teach them to become like them and be destroyed. I talked to a woman some years ago, and it's been years because I do this a lot, talk to a lot of people, that is. And this woman, she had a life in shambles, boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend. And she'd been doing that for years, and she knew it. You didn't have to tell her. You don't have to try to make her feel bad about it. She already knew it. She was miserable, and she knew it. And uh, she had a great kid, though, and uh, had the child in, in my school with me. And I remember we were discussing the concept of Bible time, and we were a Christian school, and we were, I was a, I'm a reverend, and we teach children Bible. And she was so thankful. She said, my life has not turned out the way that I want it to turn out. It was in shambles. And she said, I want something better for my child. I want something different for my child. So she saw that. She knew that she had been tricked. She knew that she was not equipped herself to teach her child the things that she needed to learn, the child needed to learn. But we did. We had something that the child needed that would make that child's life prosper where her personal life, the parent's life, had not prospered. I also talked recently to a woman who is a, a lesbian woman and had a child in our school. And uh, this woman, or one of our schools, and this woman, very nice woman, clearly has had a rough life and has obviously made personal life choices. Though they're all her own. And uh, I had a good discussion with her because she was discussing with me and talking about the reason why she had chosen a Christian school to place her child in. Now, this flies in the face of all kinds of arguments about how people think Christians hate people who choose homosexual lifestyles, which is completely false and ridiculous. Uh, to be against something doesn't mean that you hate something. You can dislike the idea of somebody being a drunk and think it's going to harm them and it's not best for them. But it doesn't mean that you hate the drunk because you're telling them that it's not best that they're doing the things that they're doing. And so... As I was having this discussion, and it wasn't about her personal life choices because she wasn't wanting to discuss those. She said, I want my child to be in your school because I grew up with a nominalistic Christian background. And I want my child to have the opportunity to know what's right and to make the choice for themselves what they should do. Now, this was the most interesting thing to me because the world would have you believe that people who have differing ideas and differing life choices are automatically at odds with each other. They're automatically at war with each other. But that's just not the case. It's just not true. People can see the choices they've made, and even though they're in the midst of them, they may not even pull themselves out of them. They may not know a way out of it, 
But they can see that Christians have something that they do not possess, that they were not taught, but that their child needs in order to succeed. And that's what I'm talking about on this episode. Because people like the idea that children, for some reason, if Christians are out there trying to teach them, that they're out there to restrict them and to try to get them to believe something that's not true. Wrong. We're trying to teach people the truth and teaching people how to have a prosperous life now and in eternity. And it's been patently proven, patently proven, to follow the humanistic ideas and teachings is absolutely destructive, completely destructive of the person, the individual, and the society which it follows. Completely destructive. And so our job as parents and Christian teachers is to make a difference. And you don't get to make a difference because you go out there and you demonize people. We are here to help. If you don't want your child to have a Christian education, then don't give them one. Go someplace else. That's your problem. If you want them to have one, that's what Christian teachers are there for, to help. Christian parents, your job primarily is to care for your child. Now, some people don't understand that idea. They think that, oh, government schools are okay. Well, let me give you some quick verses here, and I want to just go over a couple things. Uh, well, number one, the point I'm making here is that it's the parental duty to teach your child. You are the primary teacher. You don't get to weasel out of it. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 goes through that. God taught the commandments, and he wanted them to learn the commandments so that they would fear and fear to break the commandments and get themselves into trouble. So here we go, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land where you go to possess it, that ye might fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command uh, thee, thou son, and thy sons, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, the days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of the fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I have commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and walkest by the way, and when thou layest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them upon uh, them for a sign upon your hand, and thou shalt be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Now the commandments of God were not given to oppress people. They were given so that people can prosper. God flat out says it. I want to lengthen your days. I want your days to be prolonged. I want you to be blessed. I want your children to be blessed. I want you to have a great, wonderful life. And parents, if you want that, you have to teach the commandments to your children. You have to teach your children to fear God. Fearing God means that they hate evil. Everything that is against the commandments is something that they despise and they want to and try to and uh, push towards obeying the commandments of God. Now that is how you're going to bless someone. Parent, that's how you're going to bless your children. Christian teacher, that's how you're going to bless your students and those around you. You're going to promote them to live in the real world. Not the world of fiction. 
not the made-up world where there is no creator and we all evolved from a descendant of a monkey who turned into something else and we look like we're basically rocks just came down a different path. Ridiculous. The idea that we can live free in this world that we grew up in and we're here, myself, I'll be 40 this year, the fact that you can be born 40 years ago, poof into existence, where we're at, and then say, well, I guess I can do whatever I want. It's ridiculous. And it's been patently proven by people who have tried it that their life is going to go down the tubes, and it's going to go down the tubes fast. And not only do they take themselves, they take their families, their spouses, their children, and all those around them. Everything goes down the tubes, and their lives are shortened. Now, I said before that there are these militant humanists who are out there trying to teach the world. But then I said, of course, that it's also the Christian's job as well. And it's actually their primary duty. Well, that comes from what's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Quote, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now this is very simple. The primary duty that Christians have and have had for the last 2,000 years is personal obedience and then the propagation to other people, to proselytize, to teach and not to stop teaching. So, what happens? What happens if we leave the world, our children and everyone else, to the teachings of radical humanists who teach what most people have come commonly to be taught to believe is true? Evolution, no god, no morality, no law. What happens then to these people? Well, Luke 6 39 has an answer for that. Jesus gave a parable, quote, And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall in the ditch? Unquote. See, that's what happens. These blind people, and they themselves will claim to be blind, they have nothing to give you. They can't tell you where they came from. Um, they can't tell you where they're at. They can't tell where we're going. They're completely blind. They have no vision for the future. They have no vision at all. They don't know anything that's going on. They don't claim to. What's going to happen? They're going to lead you into the ditch where they already are. And after all, their whole goal is to create a person like themselves. They want you and your child to become like them, a person who believes in nothing and has no morality. Well, sorry, no godly morality. But what do Christians want when we're trying to teach? Very interesting side of concept. We want something different. Proverbs 3, 1 through 10. Quote, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. And let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck and write them on the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. 
but be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thine evil, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Unquote. See, we live in a world, and Christians can say stuff like this. Why are we teaching the commandments? Why are we teaching people what we call the truth about God, about creation, about man, his responsibilities, his morality, how we're supposed to treat other people? Why do we do that? Well, because we want people to have good favor in the sight of God and man. When you can obey God's commandments, other people will appreciate it. Let's take it for a spin, shall we? When you are faithful to your wife and not sleeping around on your wife, does your wife appreciate that? Well, yes, she does. Does the man next door also appreciate the fact that you're not trying to ogle his wife? You're not trying to take him from him? Oh, he does. Okay. What about honesty? When you speak properly to somebody, when you tell the truth, do people appreciate that? Do they favor you when you do that? Or do they favor you doing what's in your best interest, which might actually be a lie? What about stealing? Does your neighbor and other people around you appreciate when you don't steal from them, but you're honest about everything that you do? Or do they rather appreciate the fact that we are come from nothing or going to nothing, and therefore stealing is not really wrong? Is that what they would favor, or they favor you keeping the commandments? See, all these things echo down to one thing. We already know the answer because we have it on our hearts. People that would try to teach evolution still have it on their heart. They can't get away from it. They're God's creation, and it's there. And so when we teach them God's commandments, we're teaching people how to prosper, how to give life to them, not just a longer life and better health, but their barns are filled with plenty, which means they're going to prosper in this life and their work. It means money. When you can work hard, when you can keep your job and honor your boss, you're going to prosper. When you can listen to authority, you're going to prosper. See, Christians are not these devious people wearing black robes that people would like to think that Christians are. Which the only people who think that, by the way, are these militant people who view Christianity as a threat to their freedom, their freedom from God, their freedom to not prosper, their freedom to be disease-ridden, their freedom to be poor, their freedom to destroy their lives. It's my life. I'll do what I want with it. After all, what is one of the biggest things right now that's biggestly contended? We just had Justice Supreme Justice Ginsburg died recently, and there's a big uproar about it. Why? Because Ginsburg, as a Supreme Court justice, wanted Americans to have the freedom, sorry, not Americans, women, American women, the freedom to kill their babies, murder their babies in the womb whenever they want. And that's their freedom to destroy and to kill. Christians are saying, wait a minute, we need to protect that child. The woman has freedom, that's sure, but she doesn't have the freedom to murder. We don't have license to kill. They're not 007, I guess you could say. But that's the point. People want freedom. They think freedom is breaking the commandments and destroying life if they desire to do so. And we're saying freedom is under law. It's law with liberties. We have liberties under the law of God. And living in God's world, this is what's going to give you a 
blessing in this life, not the breaking of it, not the rejection of God's authority. And Christian teachers and Christian parents are the only ones who can give this hope to their children. That's the problem. Humanists want to make disciples. When they do, they see it as pure and enlightening, freeing. But it's really, it's just enslavement. It's destruction and eventually death. Because you cannot live in God's world and act any way you want to any more than you can walk through a bonfire and not get burned. Why? God set the rules for the physical world, and he also set the rules for the moral world. And if you want to be blessed in this life, you have to find out how we to operate in the life we live. And that's why we need Christian teachers. Now, I want to go on to something because... I think I spent enough time on that. Christians most definitively want to proselytize and it is our primary duty to do so. And make no mistake about it, the non-Christian humanist radicals want to do the exact same thing. We are in a struggle back and forth. The only thing is this. As Christians, we're assured victory. We can work without worry. We don't have to resort to violence or guns to do our jobs, we just have to get out there and teach. Christ has already said, as we read before, all power is given unto him in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and teach. Don't worry about it. They're not going to win. I've already won. It's all over. Just go do what I said, and we're going to win. So that gives a lot of confidence also to parents and to teachers. And hopefully, that'll give you something to think about if you're having the idea that you might want to become a teacher or maybe there's really not a difference between Christian teachers and non-Christian teachers. There is a vast difference. One stands for life and the promotion of their students and one stands for death and the impoverishment of their students. Let's move on to our next section here and before we do, I want to remind our listeners of our sponsorship by CR101radio.com and the GCS Apprenticeship Program. For more information, you can visit cr101radio.com and gcsapprenticeship.com as well. Now, our second section is called our field guide, and I won't spend too much time on this. This is some practical advice for teachers, if you are a teacher already, about accountability. Accountability comes in a couple different ways. Accountability in maybe payments, because money is part of running a school. Uh, attendance, either school-wise for staff and otherwise. Uh, communication is very important, and uh, behavior as well. All these things have with it a semblance of accountability and, of course, accountability for yourself, making yourself accountable. So to begin with, the accountability of payments. Now, these are really important. People will constantly seek to try to weasel their way out of being held accountable for making payments on time and in the proper amounts. One of the things that they'll typically do as far as an excuse is say they've fallen on hard times. Well, some people really have, and you should be definitely open to listening to their stories and helping them to the extent that you can. But at the end of the day, when you go into Walmart and you're ready to leave, you're going to have to pay your bill before you walk out with those groceries. It doesn't matter if you've had hard times. You still have to pay for the groceries before you leave. And so that is part of it. I do think that as Christian teachers and business owners, we have a little bit of more uh, fluctuation to help people with bills and payments. I know I have, uh, than say Walmart would. But it still means don't be taken in 
by people who are just refusing to pay you uh, and using excuses. So you're going to have to find the, the fine line there between those two. But people also go into people talking about unexpected bills, death in the families, and some of these are very true. But many, many, many are just people who do not want to be held accountable for their bills, and they want you not to hold them accountable. As I said before, they've been trained from the time that they were young that nothing was their fault. There was always an excuse. And worst-case scenario, they could pop a pill, and that would make it all better. But popping a pill does not make your bills go away. And so you're going to have to hold people accountable if you're going to operate a business. And you're going to have to be patient with people. And, yes, you should help people and go above and beyond but you still have to hold people accountable for paying their bills. Now, accountability in attendance for your staff, that's a big one. You cannot operate a facility without people showing up on time when they're supposed to be there, operate the days they're supposed to be there. And so you're going to get a lot of excuses if you run a facility at any point in time or manage one. People not wanting to do their jobs, be exempted from their jobs. And basically, you should, once again, always pay attention to people, always listen to them. But at the end of the day, People are going to have to be held accountable for their job requirements. If they don't or can't follow this anymore, no one's upset, no one's angry, but you just don't have a job if you can't fulfill the requirements. So I definitely think that you can make some of the best staff choices on the planet by working through people's real uh, times of help that they need. Uh, some of my best staff have been those that I've helped the most and uh, gone above and beyond to help them, and they appreciate it as well. The ones that don't appreciate it, mm, you'll notice that too, and those are the ones you kind of let go and move on and keep the ones who would actually appreciate the help. And as I said, everybody needs help, but you also need to hold people accountable that refuse to do their jobs. Uh, communication is very important. This can be staff members who are not telling you things they need to tell you. They're not calling when they don't show up and there's a problem. They went to an appointment that was supposed to be back on time, so you planned for them to be back on time, but they didn't call you and let you know that something came up. And so you're going to have to hold people accountable for the set a standard. Uh, one that I've heard people have is no call, no show, no job. The only problem with no call, no show, no job is it does need to be firm, but needs to be flexible at the same time. Uh, maybe you give a warning about the subject. Maybe somebody didn't call in in the morning and uh, you didn't see them until the next day. And then when they come in, they start talking to you and say, well, you have a phone, it only takes five seconds to call. I've had people who tried to come in and say, well, I didn't have time to call. It, it just like I said, there's a million excuses, but if you own and operate a facility or if you're going to be a manager of a facility and work with people, you do have to learn to listen to people. You have to be patient with them. You have to be overly kind to them, but you're going to have to hold them accountable. And um, that's something that you just can't get away from because you can't operate without structure. As we were saying before, you have to have people who are self-controlled if you're going to actually uh, create something. And uh, people that can't control themselves or make a phone call are not somebody that you're going to want to work with. Last one was uh, childhood behavior. Um, very common for parents. One thing they'll do, they'll just say, well, my child can't help it. Hitting, biting, scratching, cussing, fit-throwing, whatever it might be, you'll get that. Well, my kid can't help it. They have a disability, whatever it is. We hear all kinds of stuff. But it, it comes down to is it doesn't matter. If a child cannot perform or have self-control to the level that needs to be, then you can't keep them in your facility. I think, once again, you should be kind. You should be patient. You should work with people. 
But at the end of the day, there is and has to be a standard of behavior that is put into practice and people are held accountable for. And other people are expecting you, if you are the facility operator, owner, or manager, expecting you to hold other people accountable, especially children, especially where injuries uh, are uh, in effect and otherwise. They will expect you to do something. If you don't, you'll lose the people who were hoping that you would have done your job. But that's kind of enough for now for our field guide and accountability. But last one I'm going to say here is hold yourself accountable. Hold yourself accountable. If you're the teacher, if you're a parent, if you're an owner, you're an operator, hold yourself accountable first. And then others will then be understanding when you're trying to hold them accountable. If I couldn't show up to work on time or constantly show up for work late, it's very difficult for me, not impossible, to hold somebody else accountable for it. Oh, I'm the boss. I can get away with it. No, you can't. See, because you might be the boss or because you're the person in charge doesn't mean you get to break the rules. It means you get to set the rules at certain times, but rules always apply to you. If I'm teaching somebody that they cannot steal, does that mean that I get to steal? No, it doesn't. It means I cannot steal. I have to be the example. Go above and beyond. You want to teach your staff to be patient with each other and kind to each other? Then you better show that as an example and hold yourself accountable first. And people will follow you, but you're going to have to do it. Let's move on to our last section here. Our last section is just we like to point out things that we like think are helpful to teachers, owners, operators, uh, people who manage. And something we work with at our schools is something that I think, uh, at first I was kind of skeptical about using. Most people know about it, at least have heard about it. I'm not sure they've all used it before, but Google Suites is what I want to talk about briefly today. Google Suites is something that, of course, is a product of Google, uh, the search engine company. But most people know it for uh, Gmail, uh, they have uh, Gmail with uh, Google, or maybe they have Google Drive. Uh, they used to be bigger for photos and things like that. Not so much anymore, but used to. But Google Suite is something that you can get, which if you have a website, that's where you have to start, because um, you can just, just get Gmail stuff. But the Google Suite itself is made more for organizations, groups, companies, businesses, and it's actually very, very cost-efficient. It's not overly expensive. It's... Uh, I want to say about $12 or so um, per user, depending on how many people that you're working with. And it's something that gives you person access to a personalized email. So let's say that your school is Grace Community Schools. Uh, your name might be Jeremy Walker at GraceCommunitySchools.com. So your name and then your business name. And you can do this for every person in your staff. So you have these personalized business emails very professional, and it's very simple to set up and do. You also get access to the entire Google suite of products. So you get email, Google Drive, uh, Keep, which is I'm actually got used to, K-E-E-P, where you get to use notes and things like that. Very interesting as well. And many other things like Google Photos and all kinds of other things. But I think the biggest feature has to be Google Drive. Because you get to store everything online, you get to organize things where you like them organized. You put all your documents there. Uh, you also get unlimited storage. Unlimited storage with Google's uh, Drive. I mean, unlimited, unlimited storage. It's really amazing. And you can uh, set sharing profiles so you can share with people inside your organization, outside your organization. You can set things to be public. 
Um, we use it uh, very much so, this type of style and setup, uh, operating uh, seven different Grace Community Schools here in Southwest Florida and all the different managers and all the different forms that you have to have and all the different documents you have to save. And so pretty much this here, Google Suites, is something that I highly recommend uh, to our listeners. If you're a teacher, just get yourself a Gmail account. Maybe you don't get a, um, a Google Suite account necessarily, but Gmail will also give you access to uh, many of the same things. Uh, maybe not the personalized email account, uh, but it does give you all the other stuff. And it's definitely worth having. Um, if you're a teacher and you're just working by yourself, it's a great place to store stuff. And if you're an organization, it gets you everything you want to go in one spot and right where you want to go. So Google Suites is what I want to highlight today. And you should check it out. Uh, just go to your any search engine, type in uh, Google, Google Suites, and you should be able to find it there. But anyways, I also want to remind our listeners that we are um, on our website at cr101radio.com forward slash preschool pioneers. You can find this episode and more. And I just want to thank everybody for joining me again for this episode of A is for Acolytes. And I hope that you, as a parent or a teacher, got inspired about why it's important that we become Christian teachers, get involved in these ideas, and we become teachers. I hope it also is going to get you not just to think about it, but to check into some of these products that Google Suites, which can help you. Uh, GCSPrenticeship.com has more. And, of course, as I said, I want to thank everybody for joining us and to say God bless. Thank you.